Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we have a gentleman from the United States, Mark Elston. Uh, welcome, Mark, and tell us where you're uh, located. Good to be with you. Thanks. Uh, I am in Madison, Wisconsin, so not too far south of the border there. Right, and not too far away from where there's an interesting trial going on down there. Yeah, yeah, this is true. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with your academic background first. Yeah, so I um, uh, have a few different degrees. Uh, studied psychology um, at the University of California in Berkeley uh, as an undergrad. Uh, this was quite a long time ago now at this point. Um, and then uh, after a couple of years of uh, working in, in churches, I ended up going to seminary Um uh, actually, went. my wife and I both attended seminary together at uh, Princeton Seminary. So went from California all the way to the other coast, uh, to New Jersey, and uh, enjoyed a few years there on the East Coast. Um, and then uh, we moved to Madison, started our work um, at uh, Pratt's House, the Campus Ministry Center here, which I can come back to in a moment. And probably about 14 years 13 years into that work, I went back and got another degree, um, uh, ended up getting an MBA, actually. So psychology, theology, and then a business degree. Um, and it's kind of at the intersection of all of that, actually, that I, that I enjoy my work the most. Uh, so I have an MBA from the University of Wisconsin um, Business School here in Madison. Okay, so with all that academic background, you actually went to work. <laughs> so let's get into that. Tell us about your different aspects of your work career. Yeah, so for most of my most of my working career, I have actually been executive director and pastor, uh, co-pastor at Press House, which is the Presbyterian affiliated campus ministry center at the University of Wisconsin uh, Madison campus here. So we're located right in the heart of the campus. Um, been there, like I said, with my wife and co-pastor for. 17 years. Um, and about a year ago, I uh, stepped down from active pastoral work uh, there um, in order to make room for a new role as a co-founder and director at uh, Rooted Good. Um, so that's a different organization, a nonprofit that works nationally across the country, um, supporting social impact organizations of all kinds, uh, social businesses, social entrepreneurs, churches, educational settings and so on um, with tools and resources to help them do their work better and basically to create more good in the world. So uh, as you speak to me today, I have two, two jobs. One's very locally rooted. One is right on the campus at the University of Wisconsin, um, about half of my time. And then the other half of my time um, is uh, helping to create, launch, and, and move forward this, this new nonprofit that serves organizations throughout the country. So. So, like to be in both both worlds, yeah. So with one of those organizations, you created a game. Can you mm -hmm. tell us about that, please? Yeah, so Rooted Good um, is, a, is actually a spinoff of an organization that was founded in London um, about uh, 12 years ago called Matryoshka House. And that organization created a game called Mission Possible. Um, and that is now Rooted Good now owns that game. And that, that Rooted Good is now the entity that, that uses that game. 
Um, Mission Possible is a game that helps teach design thinking um, through actually playing a game. And it came about because uh, the founders of Matryoshka House in London were continually asked, how do you start new things? How do you start innovative things? Um, how do you do design thinking? And they started by giving workshops and lectures and the sort of traditional method and found it just didn't take super well. And so instead of that, they created a game where you actually play through the steps of design thinking, solving um, real world, but also kind of theoretical problems. And you learn how to do that by playing the game. And it, it's proven to be incredibly successful. And in an hour and a half, you can kind of learn what would take some, you know, could take a week of, of coursework to learn just by actually doing it um, in the game. So that's one part of Rooted Good. What are the other things that Rooted Good do again? So we have a, we have a, um, a network called the Mycelium Network, um, which uh, references trees and roots. A lot of our language is around that uh, roots. Um, the Mycelium Network is, is the idea that people connect and nourish each other through, through networks. And the trees and forests actually kind of nourish each other um, they're not standalone entities, but they all could have had this interplay with each other. And so our mycelium network is a is a network of of social entrepreneurs and innovators and and leaders thinking about how to do more good in the world, basically, um, both faith-based and and non-faith-based across all sorts of sectors. and And we provide then also to that network um, a whole series of of tools and resources. And, and little mini game sorts of things. Um, everything from how to generate new ideas to how to measure your outcomes, how to tell stories, um, how to align your money and mission. Um, one of our newest tools is our money and mission alignment tool and it helps you plot on a heuristic map where your activities fall as, uh, as an organization with regard to the generating of revenue and the impact on your primary mission that you're trying to achieve. And you can kind of really visually see and plot how your activities fall in, in that spectrum. And so we provide all these resources basically for organizations to do and to use internally um, to help them do their work better. Uh, that's our goal is to help social entrepreneurs and other innovators do their work better um, in whatever context they're in and to kind of take our tools and and go further faster is the way we like to put it. So this organization, is it mainly online? So we do both, all sorts of, uh, I mean, our tools are, are available and usable either online or in person. So our Mission Possible game, for example, is a physical game that you can actually play at a table and it's also an online game. Um, our tools that are downloadable can be done in groups. Um, or they can be done by a Zoom or some other, you know, online platform. We do some gatherings of people as well, also either virtually, especially in the COVID era, um, and then also some in person. And uh, so it's kind of a mixture. We love to be with people. That's our preference, uh, honestly. But we've been in this world for the last year now of doing a lot virtually, and we've kind of pivoted and adapted uh, our work to be that to be that way. We are not consultants. Sometimes people wonder if that's what we do. Um, we, we have all done consulting, um, but we actually are trying to design and we think we're successfully designing processes 
and tools that organizations can use themselves without need of a consultant, or a consultant can actually use our tools to help another organization. So we don't do a lot of one-on-one -on -one consulting, and part of that's we're trying to scale up our work. We're trying to actually make it available on a much faster and broader scale than kind of one-on-one -on -one consulting allows for. So Mark, talk about your team and the importance of partnerships. Yeah, so there's a few different ways partnerships play. I mean, we so we have a team, a primary team of four individuals, actually three co-founders and our most recent hire in operations and project manager. Uh, one is in London, one is in Detroit, one is in Chicago, and then I'm here in Madison, Wisconsin. So we're literally spread out across the globe, mostly in the Midwest and then in, in Europe. But um, uh, we obviously have to figure out all the time how to work together across time zones and whatnot. But I guess as an organization, we're really committed to partnerships in a lot of different ways. I, in fact, just coming into this call, finished a call um, with uh, with a leader uh, in a church network that, that is uh, talking to us about co-developing a new tool that they want to see built. Um, we co-developed a tool with the Lake Institute on faith and giving, um, which is uh, out of Indianapolis area. They wanted to build a tool around how to um, congregations deploy their resources into their neighborhoods and in communities. So we together, actually over about a six-month period, co-designed, created, tested, edited, honed this tool, and it's now being used by their uh, folks in their network, and it's available to our mycelium network members um, as well. And so we love to do that. We like to bring our Kind of design and process oriented thinking to the table and then set that alongside um, the various expertise, knowledge, um, if there is a theological tradition at play of an organization or of an entity or of a person that we're partnering with and kind of bring that together. Um, we also have a design fellows program um, where we have uh, fellows who come from diverse uh, backgrounds, racial, ethnic, and other diverse backgrounds in order to um, help us evaluate and test our tools and understand how they're being used or seen in different contexts. Um, because, you know, of course, different contexts are, are, are really uh, have different needs in the way that they want to use some of this material and some of these, some of these tools. And we can't always meet all the needs, but we want to be um, able to provide our resources as much as possible to folks across a broad spectrum. So our design fellows help us help us evaluate that. Okay, talk about your other job with the university. Yeah. What, what do you do there in your spare time? Right. So the university, so yeah, so at the University of Wisconsin, Press House is a Presbyterian um, affiliated campus ministry center that's a student church and a student apartment community. We house about 250 students in a building that we built uh, 13 years ago um, on a parking lot next to the church. And so it's a seven story, a big, big apartment building. Um, so we run essentially a social business, um, social enterprise um, there that uh, provides all sorts of programming for residents that live in the building. We have a community for students in addiction recovery, for example. We have a community of students living there that are involved in community service in the neighborhood. Um, and then the student church, we have a candid wellness program, and we have a, a community of young adults living in the downtown area post-college um, that's a spinoff of Press House. So all of those are part of the portfolio that is Press House. 
Um, I'm the executive director, so I kind of oversee fundraising and work with our board of directors, um, manage the couple million dollar a year business that we're, that we're sort of managing there. Um, and so that's, that's the other part of what I do um, with my time. And uh, mostly we just exist to support the spiritual, emotional, intellectual growth of university students, undergraduate and graduate students. And home, who's in charge? Of the, who's in charge of the? The house, the household. Uh, yeah. Um, the, of the building, you mean? The living room? No, no, no. You and your wife, who's in charge? Oh, yes. No, we, uh, we are co, co-leaders in that situation for sure. Okay. Yes. So you do all the cooking? We share it, actually, between us That's and our kids as well. Actually, our two daughters, uh, we take turns. Um, especially the pandemic, we've had a lot more meals together, so that's been really nice. Yeah. Excellent. Well, because you wear two hats, at least, where do you see these two responsibilities three years from now? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think the the my press house hat is is a, is a has gone through a lot of transition over the last uh, 15 years. And so now we're in a place of sort of steady, continual growth there on the campus, serving students, growing and to serve more of them in deeper ways. Rooted Good is very much in a startup phase. So that one, I think we'll see the most change in the next three years. I mean, we hope in the, within the next three years to be really serving um, thousands of organizations through our tools, um, and then tens of thousands of individuals, therefore, or hundreds of thousands even of individuals who are benefiting from the organizations that are benefiting from our resources. Um, that would be our that would be our goal, and really to just help them do what they want to do. You know, to help them those organizations do what they want to do better uh, is a, is our aim. So we're really growing quickly, um, raising funds. We're a nonprofit. Um, trying to, to make our game and our other tools available for um, our mycelium network. All of that's kind of in play for us over the next few years at Rudy Good. So talk about revenue streams. Yeah, so for both, actually, my organizations, I um, we, we employ kind of two core revenue streams. One would be fundraising, sort of raise money, right, grant money and donor money really important. And then both also you uh, rely on earned revenue. So sales of some kind. So at Press House, we, we have rent, we, you know, we rent space in our building and that generates revenue for us. Really good. We uh, make, we sell our mission possible game and we have membership fees and so on, which generates some revenue allows to do our work. And that combination of both types of revenue, both donor revenue and earned earned income, um, help to build resilient organizations. I, I actually have a book coming out on June 1st um, called We Aren't Broke, uh, Uncovering Hidden Resources for Mission and Ministry um, that is all about the idea of using church-owned uh, assets, capital assets, investment assets and, and buildings and property to generate revenue streams in different ways um, for new economic models. Um, churches in particular are really facing a very uncertain of economic financial future and COVID has has only accelerated that for many of them uh, and so the book is all about the the fact that we are changing the way we generate revenue and that we have a lot of capital in the church while we may not have lots of 
um, kind of giving from the plate, we still do have a lot of capital, a lot of investment money in many, in many denominations at least. Um, huge billion, billion, hundreds of billions of dollars actually of investment money across various denominations, and then lots and lots of really valuable property. And so putting that to work in similar ways that we did at Press House, where we developed uh, an underutilized parking lot into student housing, um, has some real promise both to further the mission of our, of our organizations, as well as to generate sustainable revenue sources uh, for, come, for the coming years. And that really matches our focus at uh, Community Innovation Hub that Carla and I co-founded, uh, using unused space in communities of faith. Mm -hmm. And uh, my experience is that many of the communities of faith are using about 20 to 30% of their space mm -hmm. from uh, 8.30 in the morning till 10 o'clock at night. And I was in uh, a Mennonite church out of the town, and they ran a full-day session on repurposing the church. And they bought in the business community, the, the nonprofit, the charities, and the congregation. And I did my little presentation. It was a full day to come up with ideas to repurpose the church. But the unusual thing, Mark, is I looked out the window and there was four acres of land that was totally unused. Mm -hmm. And along comes a former member of the congregation, and he says, here's 15 million, I want you to build a new church. <laughs> but uh, in, in that particular case, on the tour that I went, the lady who runs the building admitted they were using 20% of the space. Yeah. That's actually probably pretty good. I've heard lower numbers. I've heard 12%, 14% utilization in many churches. And of course, that was pre-COVID. Last year, it's been far lower than that in many cases. Um, well, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I've talked to a few of the uh, communities of faith. And because they're doing their services online, they're getting global participants. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, I keep asking them, are they going to go back to where it was? And they're going to go half and half. Which is yeah, really I think that hybrid is probably here to stay. Then the question is, what is the building for then, right? And what are we doing with the building, right? And if Sunday morning worship isn't the only, isn't the primary even maybe driver, what else is happening with it? Um, and that's where all these interesting other ideas come up. Grocery co-ops, uh, you know, little grocery stores owned by the neighborhood or... Um, music practice and performance space or soccer fields where there's extra land for the local soccer club or, you know, there's just the sort of the sky's the limit in some of this stuff and uh, some really interesting ways to kind of engage and serve neighborhoods um, with, the, with the, the good news of the church while also potentially generating some revenue that helps sustain the programs. Well, we created a list that uh, you might find interesting. We came up with 140 ideas that, huh. a, that a community of faith could use. And so on the list, we have a description and then an example, a resource where you could find out more information. So that's a, that's a tool that we use. But what, what we have in particular, and I sh this shouldn't be about me, it should be about you. Uh, 
we have created about 20 kits for communities of faith. So, for example, one, one of my passionate ones is the homeless entrepreneur, teaching yeah. homeless people how to start a business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was based on a guy in Barcelona who moved from Milwaukee, yeah. and he's in three locations in Barcelona. So I did it in the uh, Toronto area. I went to a homeless shelter, and I had about 12 people, and I showed them how to start a business. But the cool thing was I had them fill out a form which outlined their background, where they worked, what their education was, what their skills, what their experience was. And these people have amazing talent. Mm -hmm. And they just need to have it uh, turned around a little. Mm -hmm. So back to you. (laughs) Um, Where is press going to be in three years? Yeah, I think we we are continuing to do more and more um, work trying to serve students that are underserved on the campus of West House. That's one of our big callings. So, um, uh, BIPOC students, students of color, LGBTQ um, identifying students um, are often underserved uh, on campuses like like ours, and so we've been finding more and more ways to connect and support those students in particular. Um, our staff has been growing more and more diverse. Our leadership has been growing more and more diverse, and that has helped. Uh, has helped. So that's something that we're really interested in continuing to, to do in the next few years. And many of those students could start a business. Absolutely. Um, you're you absolutely have, right about that. If you had yeah. a program yes. which uh, could show them how to start a social enterprise. Well, we're actually exploring a really interesting... So if I can diverge into a brief story here, we we have an endowment at Press House as well. So we have our property, of course, but we also have an endowment. And a few of the portions of our endowment are designated gifts from decades ago. So alumni who died and left money in their will. One of those gifts was given in, in a very, very particular way, such that we almost can't use the money anymore. So this is one of the dangers of very, very tight designated giving you might 50, 60, 70 years later discover that that thing you gave for that you thought everyone would want is no longer something that's needed. And that's what's happened with this pot of money. It's probably about $100,000. And we can't really use its revenue for anything because it just, it's set in the will in such a way. However, we can invest it differently. And so we're actually exploring investing it, doing impact investing with the with the portfolio, with that pot of money. And so that we can, at least if we're not able to use some of the proceeds from it as much as we would like, we can at least put the money to work in a really powerful, positive way through some impact investing. And one of the ideas could be actually investing it in um, some of the entrepreneurs that might come out of the University of Wisconsin, for example, especially entrepreneurs of color, um, or investing it in some of the local affordable housing projects that might be happening in our neighborhood or those sorts of things. So we can, it's a really interesting idea for congregations or other entities to think about. There are sometimes these pots of money that we can't use the proceeds the way we hope for, but we could actually 
think differently about how we invest um, that, that, that pot of money and, uh, and get it to work, um, pull it out of the stock market, honestly, and put it to work in something more active in, um, in the community, uh, which is really kind of an exciting idea. So well, talk to me in three years and we'll see if we did that. Yeah. Your, your students could use our book that Carla and I co-wrote called The, uh, the Give Back Economy. Mm, which okay. uh, it shows he, people how to start and grow a social enterprise, mm-hmm. and it has downloadable forms, which makes it okay. even easier for them. Yeah. But the cool part of that, Mark, is our royalties go to a give-back fund that supports the work that we're doing. So That's we don't head. get any of the money from, from that effort. Yeah. Okay. Last I guess what I need is website locations for the two organizations that you're involved in, if you could spell them out. Sure, I'll give you three websites, actually. So one is my website for for my book, which which actually links to the other one. So if this is maybe the easiest, it's just my name, M. Elston, M-E-L-S-D-O-N.com, mlston.com. Uh, and that is, that's got my book on there and then links to all these other resources as well. Press House is a series of different websites. The main one is Presshouse, P-R-E-S-H-O-U-S-E dot org, presshouse.org. And then Rooted Good is simply rootedgood.org. So rooted, good, all one word, dot org. Um, so those are, the, those are the three websites that might be useful. Terrific. Well, thank you for your time this afternoon. You are definitely a social innovator. You also run a social enterprise, and you support social enterprise. And we appreciate the work that you're doing. So thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. It was a pleasure talking to you.